happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light 'em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today is November the twenty ninth, two thousand and eleven. Thank God it's not Thanksgiving. We've got leftovers now. I've got a whole refrigerator full of stuff to throw away. I love the title of that. That last, um, that last bit. Hell and high water. That was the book. Uh, they were talking about. I love that. That's my was my mother's favorite expression. Come hell or high water. <laughs> anyway, we've had enough of that this year, and there's more to come. More to come. I didn't think I was going to make it here today. One thing after another, or the same damn thing over and over. Lucky for me, one of KPFA's volunteers,、uh, Ron. He he rescued me at the last moment and got me down here in his van. God bless. Ah,、uh, oh, more more things here. Yes, we've got a crafts fair coming up. I don't think I'll make it this year. Couldn't find a publisher this year. I have four titles left from、uh, years past. I could bring those to the crafts fair and try to sell them, but. I, I think I'll wait till next year and try to put together something really new. You know, nothing new under the sun, but I'll give it a shot. Anyway,、uh, hmm. You want a list of my other stuff? You can write me at KPFA Box ninety four, Jennifer Stone.、Uh, my movie book. I was going over my movie book this week because that's all I do in the holidays. Is Go to the movies this year. I think I'll try to get down to the、uh, the places where the young people are doing the Occupy Berkeley scene.、Uh, as I say, I, my only contribution is this notion of putting little plastic bags over your nice warm woolly socks. Everybody, stay warm. Carry your tent with you. Get one of those huge sheets, you know, that you put over yourself. Got caught in the rain the other day. <laughs> anyway. I wasn't going to talk about Christmas today. I just wasn't. And then last night I had this horrific, horrific nightmare. It was quite a ride. Actually, it was surreal and very camp. But it was all the Christmases past crushed into one. You know, Christmas past, Christmas future, Christmas present, and、uh, I, I wish I could describe it.、Uh, sometimes I think that words are not enough. We do need visual. Images.、Uh, I go nuts around Christmas time. I get、uh, I get involved in the light show. 
I love Christmas Eve. I like the nighttime stuff, you know. Christmas Eve is the night of the mother. That's what the Norsemen called it, you know. The fires, the illumination, the pagan festivals, the Yule log, and the mistletoe, and the holly, and, you know, it's a party time. Was the sort of feasting and revelry that the bitter Christians, the churchmen, the orthodox Christians denounced. They said it was carnal pomp and jollity. You know, some of those 17th century Massachusetts Puritans, they tried to ban Christmas altogether because of its overt heathenism. Right. See, if you're a pagan, it's okay to celebrate Christmas, of course. Then what happened is that today it has become a religion. Our religion is that of consumerism. That has overwhelmed even Christianity. Think about it. Imagine something competing with the Christians. I quote myself here from the Anderson Valley Advertiser, my one of my greatest lines here. Greed stains our culture, soaks our sensibilities, and has replaced grace as a sign of our intimacy with the divine. In other words, folks, if you're rich, you're godly. That's proof, you know. All those treasures and riches, that proves that God has uh, graced you. Uh, anyway, I'm just going to light a few candles and play the music and have a wassail. Uh, I like this notion that it's the music, not the mass, that we love. Uh, I, I don't mind. I don't mind uh, the rites and the rituals, the celebrations of Christmas, uh, so long as it's about the aesthetic, the uh, sensual stuff, uh, not the uh, not the orthodox Christian BS. Uh, the poet Rimbaud always said. Uh, he said, "Be always drunken." Be always drunken with wine, with poetry, or with virtue, as you please. But be always drunken. <laughs> now, I get my high by going to uh, the movies, by doing the, the gorgeous things, listening to the music, and by hanging out with the children. You know, the children, they always know what time it is. It's now, 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 now. Oh, they just, they just want to have fun, you know. Childhood is the kingdom where nobody dies. The holiday season is the time of year when things get real. Now, I haven't been a child for <laughs> several years now, <laughs> but I get in touch with my inner child, you know. Uh, she's in there along with my inner Nazi and my inner critic and all those other innards. Uh, childhood is a kingdom where we are loved unconditionally, where fantasy is stronger and more powerful than reality. Uh, you know, uh, you remember when those things, well, those things that we loved were a matter of life and death. Now, 
I have piles of material here that I may get around to about what we should look for in the bookstores when we're buying things for our children. Let's hope we get a few books along with the videos. Uh, see the story of Ferdinand is here. No, let me start. Let me start with something funny. My kids loved A.A. Uh, a. Milne. You remember A.A. A. Milne. He wrote books for children under six. My favorite was always, uh, well, you know, the first poem in uh, Now We Are Six. It goes, when I was one, I'd just begun. When I was two, I was nearly new. When I was three, I was hardly me. When I was four, I was not much more. When I was five, I was hardly alive. But now, now I'm six and I'm clever as clever. So I guess I'll just stay six forever and ever. <laughs> I remember the poem that my kids took the time to to uh, learn. They used to they used to say it over and over again. They used to use it as a parable uh, uh analogy with something about little John John Kennedy when his father, well, you remember little John, uh, it was his birthday there, the time of his father's funeral, uh, JFK died and, uh, Jackie Kennedy was careful to keep on with the birthday party for her little boy. Uh, he of course is also gone, no longer with us. Um, anyway, my child's poem was, uh, his favorite was Disobedience by A. A. Milne. James, James, Morrison, Morrison, Weatherby, George Dupree took great care of his mother, though he was only three. James, James said to his mother, Mother, he said, said he, you must never go down to the end of the town if you don't go down with me. James, James Morrison's mother put on a golden gown. James, James Morrison's mother drove to the end of the town. James, James Morrison's mother said to herself, said she, I can get right down to the end of the town and be back in time for tea. King John put up a notice, lost or stolen or strayed. James, James Morrison's mother seems to have been mislaid. Last seen wandering vaguely, quite of her own accord. She tried to get down to the end of the town, forty shillings reward. James, James, Morrison, Morrison, commonly known as Jim, told his other relations not to go blaming him. James, James, said to his mother, Mother, he said, said he, You must never go down to the end of the town without consulting me. James, James, Morrison's mother hasn't been heard of since. King John said he was sorry. 
So did the queen and the prince. King John, somebody told me, said to a man he knew, if people go down to the end of the town, well, what can anyone do? Now then, very softly, James, James, Morrison, Morrison, Weatherby George Dupree, took great care of his mother, though he was only three. James, James, said to his mother, mother, he said, said he, you must never go down to the end of the town. If you don't go down with me. And the lovely picture at the end of this poem by A. A. Milne of the little boy on his little tricycle and his mother's on a leash. She's coming along behind in her fur wrap and her cloche hat. Yes. <laughs> ah, yes. Oh, dear. His mother was mislaid. Oh, my. This is quite a sophisticated little poem in there. Some in-jokes for the grown-ups. Uh, I don't know. Oh, yes. My children used to look at it. Yes, they would see this poem and they would think of little John Kennedy and they, was, they would change it to the father and he would say, they would say, you must never go down to Dallas Town. If you don't go down with me, you must never take Jetses down to Texas. If you don't go down with me, never mind. Poems from the past. I think I should read a Ferdinand just because I remember once upon a time they kept telling me that, uh, well, some of the said that they were getting sick of Ferdinand, my pacifist book. I love Ferdinand because it was banned was banned right here in America by the Cleveland Plain Dealer because it was supposed to be about commies. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I guess we can get too much of a good thing. But, you know, first, before I do Ferdinand, let's see. I think I've got time. I want to squeeze in one more poem by A.A. A. Milne. Just because I love to read them. God knows whether anybody loves to hear them anymore. Times do change, but... I'm still a proponent of what I call breast reading. Uh, breast reading, like breastfeeding, nourishes the child. Uh, you know, you hold the child and you use milk and or words, you know, to nourish the child. And then when they're older, they think of poetry as nourishing rather than something they have to learn at school. Uh, Let's read The King's Breakfast. This was my mother's favorite. Yes, from my children's favorite to my mother's favorite. Right. This is called The King's Breakfast. The king asked the queen, and the queen asked the dairymaid, Could we have some butter for the royal slice of bread? The queen asked the dairymaid. The dairymaid said, Certainly. I'll go and tell the cow now. Before she goes to bed. The dairymaid, she curtsied and went and told the alderney, Don't forget the butter for the royal slice of bread. The alderney said, Sleepily, you'd better tell his majesty That many people nowadays like marmalade instead. 
The dairymaid said, Fancy, and went to Her Majesty. She curtsied to the Queen, and she turned a little red. Excuse me, Your Majesty, for taking of the liberty, but marmalade is tasty if it's very thickly spread, the Queen said, Oh, and went to His Majesty. Talking of the butter for the royal slice of bread, many people think that marmalade is nicer. Would you like to try a little marmalade instead? The king said, bother. And then he said, oh, dear me. The king sobbed, oh, dearie me, and went back to bed. Nobody, he whimpered, could call me a fussy man. I only want a little bit of butter for my bread. Oh, the queen said, there, there, and went to the dairymaid. The dairymaid said, there, there, and went to the shed. The cow said, there, there. I didn't really mean it. Here's milk for his porringer and butter for his bread. The queen took the butter and brought it to his majesty. The king said, butter, eh, and bounced out of bed. Nobody, he said, as he kissed her tenderly. Nobody, he said, as he slid down the banisters. Nobody, my darling, could call me a fussy man. But I do like a little bit of butter to my bread. That is the King's Breakfast by the late great A. A. Milne. I don't know, something to do with the sounds, as Samuel Beckett says. All that writing has something to do with the sound of the sounds, the round and round and up and down. Uh, ah, yes, the music is what it's all about. But there's a message, too. That's the mass, the, the ideas behind it. The idea behind that one is that, yes, marmalade's entirely too fancy for, for us. I remember reading once that marmalade is uh, kind of a contraction uh, of the words uh, Mary Malad. Something about Mary being sick. Maybe it was Mary of Scotland, anyway. Mary Malad, uh, it was something, uh, you know, you, you take the little bits of orange and add sugar and you make marmalade or Mary Malad. And that's where we get the word for that wonderful stuff that I put on my English muffins. Yes, we do have time. We have time to read Ferdinand. And then we have time to read all these good things about pagan celebrations and the pagan mysteries at Christmas. I... I really do like the old religion. I'm for the the pre-patriarchal religion. You know, when the party was all about life. Yes, the tree of life. That's another movie. I'll talk about that one another day. Uh, but, you know, it's the, the wicker, the wick, the green man, the little spark of life that's everywhere, everywhere around us and which we celebrate at Christmas time all these trees and all this food. The story of Ferdinand is a book that was written in the 30s by a fellow called Monroe Leaf. I have wonderful stuff here written by his widow. Uh, <laughs> the drawings by, are by Robert Lawson. Fifty years after it was published, 
There was another version called Ferdinand and the Bullies, which was a horrible, hideous ripoff by Disney. I'll read that someday when I feel like yelling about justice, but they ruined it, of course. The the old book, The Story of Ferdinand, is by Monroe Leaf. Robert Lawson did these fabulous pictures. And this is the story. Once upon a time in Spain, there was a little bull and his name was Ferdinand. All the other little bulls he lived with would run and jump and butt their heads together. But not Ferdinand. He liked to sit just quietly and smell the flowers. He had a favorite spot out in the pasture under a cork tree. It was his favorite tree and he would sit in its shade all day and smell the flowers. <laughs> Footnote here. They're little clusters of corks as from wine bottles. These growing from the tree. My mother told me that that meant that uh, uh, Ferdinand had a drop taken. That is, that he might like a little wine with dinner. Anyway, the story goes on. Sometimes Ferdinand's mother, who was a cow, would worry about him. She was afraid he would be lonesome all by himself. Why don't you run and play with the other little bulls and skip and butt your head, she would say. Ferdinand would shake his head. I like it better here where I can just sit quietly and smell the flowers. His mother saw that he was not lonesome and because she was an understanding mother, even though she was a cow, she let him just sit there and be happy. As the years went by, Ferdinand grew and grew until he was very big and strong. It's a sign on the tree, Ferdinand, two years. He's big. All the other bulls who had grown up with him in the same pasture would fight each other all day. They would butt each other and stick each other with their horns. What they wanted most of all was to be picked to fight at the bullfights in Madrid. Mm, not Ferdinand. He still liked to sit just quietly under the cork tree and smell the flowers. <laughs> Footnote here. All the other bulls, they're gathered around. They have these big band-aids across their hips and so forth from where they've been fighting. Anyway, one day five men came. They wore very funny hats. They came to pick the biggest, fastest, roughest bull to fight in the bullfights in Madrid. All the other bulls ran around snorting and butting and leaping and jumping so the men would think that they were very, very strong and fierce and pick them. Ferdinand knew that they wouldn't pick him. He didn't care. He went out to his favorite cork tree to sit down. Oh, he's surrounded with little butterflies, yes, in the picture. Ah, he didn't look where he was sitting, and instead of sitting on the nice, cool grass in the shade, he sat on a, a bumblebee. Well, 
If you were a bumblebee and a bull sat on you, what would you do? You would sting him, and that's just what this bee did to Ferdinand. Oh, wow, did it hurt. Ferdinand jumped up with a snort. He ran around, puffing and snorting and budding and pawing the ground as if he were crazy. The five men saw him. They all shouted with joy. Here he was, the largest and fiercest bull of all, just the one for the bullfights in Madrid. So they took him away for the bullfight day in a cart. What a day it was. Flags were flying, bands were playing, and all the lovely ladies had flowers in their hair. They had a parade into the bull ring. First came the banderillos with the long, sharp pins with ribbons on them to stick in the bull and make him mad. Next came the picadores who rode skinny horses. They had long spears to stick in the bull and make him madder. Then came the matador, proudest of all. He thought he was very handsome. Bowed to the ladies, he had a red cape and a sword. He was supposed to stick the ball last of all. And then came the bull. And you know who that was, don't you? Ferdinand. They called him Ferdinand the Fierce. All the banreos were afraid of him, and the picadores were afraid of him, and the matador was scared stiff. Ferdinand ran to the middle of the ring. Everyone shouted and clapped because they thought he was going to fight fiercely and butt and snort and stick his horns around, but not Ferdinand. When he got to the middle of the ring, he saw the flowers in all the lovely ladies here. And he just sat down quietly and smelled. He wouldn't fight and be fierce no matter what they did. He just sat and smelled. And the banderillos were mad and the picadors were madder. And the matador was so mad he cried because he couldn't show off with his cape and sword. So, they had to take Ferdinand home. And for all I know, he is sitting there still, under his favorite cork tree, smelling the flowers just quietly. He is very happy. I got this in a reprint paperback. Yes, the story of Ferdinand by Monroe Leaf, drawings by Robert Lawson. That book, yes, <laughs> but if there were a war and nobody came, Ferdinand, right? Uh, I just love this book, and I think it's as hilarious that it was banned because it was supposed to be a commie book, and the rewrite, Ferdinand and the Bullies, is all about how Ferdinand's uncle teaches him how to fight back and be a big, tough guy, all right. <laughs> anyway, the Cleveland Plain Dealer uh, said that this book was subverting the children of America. <laughs> I love it. Let's see, where else was it banned? Uh, 
the widow says, right, she says it took Monroe 45 minutes to write this uh, book. Uh, it nudged Gone with the Wind off the top of the bestseller lists back in the 1930s. I always get at least one copy of the story of Ferdinand to give a little boy I know. And this uh, past decade, I've been giving copies of it to the little girls. <laughs> Mostly I like to buy collections of poetry along with an audio so that the children can hear the poems read just in case their parents don't have time to read aloud. This has been Jennifer Stone. I will be back on the air next week at the same time. Another Christmas time, yes. December the 6th, is it? I will be a year older by then. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till next Tuesday at this time, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can again. Bienvenidos and welcome to La Raza Chronicles every Tuesday at 7 p.m. And this Tuesday we have a very special guest, our station manager, Andrew Phillips. He'll be here to answer your questions and hear your comments. You can phone in La Raza Chronicles November 29th at 7 p.m. here at KPFA Free Speech Radio. And you are tuned in to listener-supported KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno, and online and archived at kpfa.org. The time is approaching 3.30 p.m. Please stay tuned for free speech radio news.